Yes. <laughs> that was interesting. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, it is so good to be here. <laughs> hmm. uh, it has really been a real honor to be with you all for the past couple of years. It's just been really great. It's, I just love it, and every time uh, Jim Jackson emails me and says, what do you think? Could you do this? And I'm like, oh, Lord, I really hope so. I really want to. And um, the Lord has just been putting me, you know, I, I think I'm pro I probably would qualify for the reluctant leader uh, description. I am not someone that, and I can really relate to Barbara, uh, I am not an extrovert, I'm not normally a real, you know, let's go out and meet people and, you know, and I don't strike up conversations really easily, but God doesn't care about that, you know, and, and we are called to be carriers of his light and carriers of his presence, and I used to be very fearful and very intimidated and uh, I used to worry what I would look like when I walked across the room, worried what people would think of me. And I wanted so bad to be delivered, to be set free. And for years, I'm just like struggling and saying, God, deliver me, God, deliver me, God, deliver me. And then finally, there was one time we were doing this um, uh, prayer retreat in Nashville, Tennessee, where now we live. Isn't that interesting how history plays itself out and you don't know, you know, what turns your life is going to take. And my husband, James, is uh, leading a church group. Well, we had the prayer retreat over the weekend, and then we kind of blended over into a church meeting the following morning. And so he's involved, very concentrated and focused on, you know, on doing this uh, service Sunday morning. Well, I'm just in this place. I'm just struggling with this intimidation and this fear and it's just like consuming my mind, you know? Just, I feel like I'm just fighting it all the time. And there are some dear ladies who have walked the trail before me and are very experienced in the place of prayer and the place of travail, of birthing prayer. They come over to me and they say, hey, would you like to come over in this other room? I'm like, gosh, I'll go with you anywhere, you bet, you know? So we go over there and uh, in this little room, this retreat center, and they start launching out in tongues. Talk about power, June. I mean, it's just like this warring tongues. You know, you can have more than one tongue. You know, you shift as you, as you grow in your walk with God. There can be kind of a devotional tongue. And then even when you travel to different lands, you can find yourself speaking in another language, in another language, and oh, and here's another language, and it just kind of pops out, and you hear yourself talking, and all of a sudden it's like, oh gosh, listen to that, that's something new, I've never done that before. But there's also a warring tongue, where I mean, it's like the fierceness of God comes on you, and, the, and because Jesus, you know, he wars for us, he fights for us, and he releases warring angels on our behalf to fight for us. And the, and the Holy Spirit just comes through you and you're just filled with this intensity and they're just warring over me in tongues. Something is happening, okay? I know it, I feel it. There is a knock at, that comes at the door, okay? And this voice speaks out and says, you're being too loud, will you please be quiet? You're disrupting the service. 
And I felt Holy Spirit ask me a question. I felt like he said, how bad do you want to be set free? And so I said, Lord, I have been waiting for this for years. <laughs> I'm going to press through this thing. And so we just went for it. And I found out later that was my husband that came to the door, actually, which is really kind of funny. But uh, anyway, so, so they're praying in, this, in these tongues. I mean, and, and we are loud. We are loud. I totally acknowledge that. But it's like something happens to me, and I felt it was like a spike that came out of the top of my head. I mean, I could feel its dimensions. It was about six inches long and about two inches in diameter, and I felt that thing lift out of my head. And I knew God had met me. So, um, you know, and nobody gets mad at us. Nobody's upset at us afterward. There's no, you know, everything's fine. Um, so everybody starts to leave that afternoon. Jim and I had planned to be there that evening just to have some time just to kind of collect ourselves and get back together, you know. And so we're walking down this little road. Now Jim's all happy, Okay. Because pressure is off. The meetings are done. And now it's just time just to relax and just get rid of this stress. So he's in this happy mood. I'm walking along in a totally different place. I'm trying to figure out what in the world just happened to me. I don't know. And so we are like in two different places. And he's, slap, he's clapping his hands and he's walking along the road and he's singing some song. And then he starts, as he's clapping, he starts hitting me on the shoulder. Pop, pop, you know. And I'm like, I'm trying to be very cool, very collected. But he is really disturbing me. But I say very nicely, Jim, would you stop doing that? And he's like, stop what? And I said, stop hitting me on my arm. He goes, I'm not hitting you on your arm. What do you mean? I'm like, Jim, will you stop? And then he gets this real ornery look in his face. He rolls up his sleeve and he goes, okay, hit me. And I watched my hand <laughs> double up into a fist and I watched my arm go pow right there in his arm. His mouth drops. He's like, you hit me. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I just did. And then we both realized something really happened that morning. I wasn't intimidated anymore. <laughs> now that's, that's kind of an unusual way to discover that you've been delivered of something, I must admit. You know, I mean, because I, I had really tried to be the perfect wife, okay? I had tried, you know, I, tr I know the value of honoring my husband, and I'm not telling anybody to go hit their husband. However, I think Holy Spirit wanted me to do that. I mean, he asked for it, I guess, you know. So, so all that to say, where I find myself today in going and ministering places, going places, carrying the love of God, it all really stems out of that time where I got delivered from a spirit of intimidation and all I started doing was just telling my friends how God had set me free. And they would say, oh my goodness, that is so good. You know, that is really the way I feel. And I'm like, oh really? Yeah, would you pray for me? And I said, yeah, I'll pray for you. 
It's all about heart-to-heart connection, you know. And don't despise the day of small beginning, you know. That, that was life to me. It affected me personally. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to come and he wants to affect our lives in a personal way. He is more interested in our hearts than he is about ministry. Do you hear what I'm saying? He is more interested about hearts, about your heart, than he is about any ministry that you will ever do. Because he is a papa. He is the father of all fathers. And he is a family man. He's a God that's a, he's a family man. His whole paradigm is all about family. He doesn't want anyone to be alone, to be alienated, to be by themselves. It's all about family. It's all about relationship. It's all about heart-to-heart connect. Okay, I just had to share that with you. So anyway, so thank you for having me. I just love being with you, and I love to be able to share out of the richness of how God has touched my life. If I can't speak to you in a personal way, then I don't know that I should be up here because it's all about the transforming power of Jesus Christ. I love William and Catherine Booth. I love their history. If you've never read about them, you really ought to. Salvation Army. They were the ones that really pioneered this place of there's no ministry and laity the church in that day were really upset at them because they would go out into, it was a whole drunken generation. It, the beer bill of like 1830 had been passed and the taverns were allowed to be open, I don't know, from like four, four or six in the morning to way late at night. And so it was a whole generation of drunkards. A whole generation. There was all kinds of Financial, I mean, you know, imagine. Imagine what happens when a whole generation just starts drinking uncontrollably. Well, it affects the finances, it affects the economy, it affects jobs, it affects everything. And women were seen feeding their babies beer in their bottles, okay? There were alcoholics that were, you know, were, came into that lifestyle at like 8 and 10 years of age. And William and Catherine Booth had this heart for the poor and for the rich, but they had a heart to bring, bring the gospel to those who really needed it. And in that place, God would meet them. And these transformed drunkards would get up once they came to know Jesus, they would get up and they would start preaching. And the church didn't like it. How dare they preach? Why, they're not trained in seminary. They haven't had Bible teaching, Bible instruction. William Booth argued back and he goes, it's the power of a transformed life. That's what gives us the authority to preach the gospel of Jesus. Hello, are you hearing me? There is no label that says qualified or disqualified. The only label you need to worry about is that your life is being transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And you have full authority to preach and to release to man, woman, child across this earth the good news that Jesus transforms. 
that he takes our sin, that he forgives us totally and completely as far as east is from west. Okay, yes. So transformation, it's awesome. I love it. Well, there is a certain transformation I want to talk to you about. I want to look at Zechariah chapter 10, verse 3. Okay? This is a scripture that just has puzzled me for a long time. And I'm just going to go ahead and read it. I'm reading from the Amplified Version, so it may take me a little bit longer to read my my scripture than it will you. My anger is kindled against the shepherds who are not true shepherds, and I will punish the goat leaders for the Lord of hosts has visited his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them as his beautiful and majestic horse in the battle. Okay, if I can like trim this down and make this just really short, the second half of that scripture says he's going to turn the sheep into horses. Oh my. Now what does that mean? Okay. Well, I was raised on a farm, okay? Some of you know that already. I was raised on a farm in the country. I milked cows, actually, to earn money to go to college, my freshman year in college. We had Jersey cows, and, um, you know, we did, yes. I learned many lessons out there in that place, and I'm very grateful for my heritage, okay? But I know about sheep. We raise sheep. Sheep are some of the dumbest animals on the earth. They, you know, but it, now Jesus gives analogy, and, you know, about sheep all through, you know, his teaching. He talks about sheep. So, but here's the thing about sheep. Sheep will follow the sheep in front of them, regardless of whether, where that front sheep is going. They will follow into thickets. They will follow into brambles. They will follow into rivers. They will follow off of hills, off of cliffs. They will follow. But they never lead. Do you understand? And there's something that the Lord wants to do to transform us from just being followers to learn how to be leaders. Sometime, I want you to look in the book of Job. I don't know that we have time to do it this morning. But read Job, the 39th chapter. It talks about the horse. You know what? Maybe we will just go there. We're going to go to Job 39 just really quickly. Okay. Starting at verse 19. Have you given the horse his might? Have you clothed his neck with quivering and a shaking mane? Okay. And then, um, was it not you, Job, who made him to leap like a locust? The majesty of his snorting nostrils is terrible. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. 
He goes out to meet the weapons of armed men. He mocks at fear and is not dismayed or terrified. Neither does he turn back in battle from the sword. The quiver rattles upon him as does the glittering spear and the lance of his rider. He seems in running to devour the ground with fierceness and rage. Neither can he stand still at the sound of the war trumpet. As often as the trumpet sounds, he says, Ha! Ha! And he smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. This is a description of the war horse. And I'm before you today. You guys may think I'm weird. I don't know what you all think of me. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but I, there is something inside of me that just, I, I identify with this war horse. I identify. I feel the stirring of Holy Spirit. I feel this thing of like having stood in a stall for years waiting to be released and I feel this urgency in the spirit. I feel the power of God wanting to run through me. I feel this tenacity, this, this just goes after the enemy as the Lord directs, okay, to fulfill God's plan. I feel the strength to go into the battle and say, ha, ha, and to run. There, see, but there is something that happens between being a sheep and being a horse. Now, when I was growing up, I had three older brothers, and they were pretty, we were a rowdy bunch, I just have to tell you. My mother's maiden name was McCoy. You guys know the Hatfields and the McCoys. Well, my mother's family was from West Virginia, and there probably is a linkage somewhere. And I mean, I can tell it. I mean, I have some of the most honorary cousins and uncles and brothers. Serious. I could tell you some real stories right now, but I won't. But, um, and I was the youngest, and I was the only girl. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pity, pity me. Oh, yeah. yeah no. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. But here's the thing. On a farm, there's just a, there's just a work ethic that says you just pitch in and you do whatever needs to be done. You don't think, is this a man's job? Is this a woman's job? That's not the way it goes. And so I would find myself out in the field running the tractor, helping my brothers put the hay up in the summer. You know, we would go out in the cornfield. We would go out, you know, work for hours in the garden. I milked cows. We took care of all the animals and, you know, everything. We built, my mom and I built closets up and we lived in a hundred-year-old farmhouse. You couldn't do anything to hurt it, you know. I mean, so it was a great place to learn how to, we did electrical work. We did, you know, we ran the chainsaw. We fixed the dryer, the washing machine, just anything, you know. Um, so I really learned to be self-sufficient in some ways. But there was one particular day that I was out mowing the yard. And we had a really big yard and we had an orchard. And it was an all-day job. And it was hot. And I was out there working all morning and uh, mowing the orchard. And I had to, like, physically move this hay wagon. And you know how you can kind of rock things and get it rolling. And then you 
get it to move. And I was really proud of myself. I was so strong. I could do that. It made me feel really good. I come in for lunch. My mother meets me at the front door. And I'm like, this is unusual. Because usually in the summertime, everybody's so busy working. Lunch, you're on your own. I was just going to go in and fix myself something. Well, Mom meeted, met me at the door. So I go in the door. I go in the kitchen. And she has fixed lunch for me. And I'm like, gosh, this is shocking. And I look at her, and my expression on my face must have conveyed something. And she looked at me, and she said, you work like a man, you can eat like a man. Now, that was the best way she knew to honor me. And I love my mother, okay? And I understand that, you know, we're all in a progression of knowing and being enlightened and being changed and transformed, okay? So I hold nothing against my mother. And I did not get it until years later that that was a value system that she held of which I partake, partook of that a man's role or a man's work was of more value and more significance than a woman, okay? Now, the reason I'm going here is I want to talk just a little bit to you about how to make the transition from being a sheep to being a horse. There are things that get deposited in our lives. It could be through our culture, our society. A lot of it's through our mom and our dad, our family understandings, our religious upbringings, okay? And those things get deposited in our lives to create a foundation for our understanding of right from wrong. What is godly? What is ungodly? What is of the Spirit? What is not of the Spirit? What is right family behavior? What is not family behavior? Okay? And those things set in place in the foundations of our being determine how we even perceive God, we perceive ourselves, and when we grow up, and when the Lord begins to call us into this thing of becoming a horse, okay, of being clothed with authority, of being a leader, of carrying strength and might and anointing, those things can war within us. We can be at odds within us. Jesus said he had nothing in common with the enemy. And I found as I grew up and as I started coming out from underneath these things, as the Lord delivers me from intimidation, as the Lord starts calling me to go out and speak, I'm warring, I'm struggling inside of myself. I want to say yes to the call of God on my life, but I don't know how to do it. And I keep feeling like I'm ha I have to press through. Do you guys, does this guy, this make sense to you? Okay. I just feel like this is really important thing for you. This is something that is called scruples. Scruples are false foundations that are established inside of you that develop what is known as your conscience. And... It, sometimes God will come and he will just supernaturally deliver. And it's awesome and wonderful. But many times there is the walk that we have to walk out. And we have to look back into the foundation stones of where we came from 
and discover those scruples, those places of false foundation, and we have to pull them out. We have to extract them. We have to repent. We have to repent, and we have to repent on the behalf of our forefathers for having established that within us. We have to pull that false foundation out. We have to look in the Bible to see what God says, and we have to replace that false, that false belief, that false scruple, with the sure word of God, okay? So that we, more and more, we have nothing in common with the enemy. More and more, as we are transformed by the light of God, we, we have more understanding and more light that is given to us. Um, <laughs> this is just really, really important. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my husband and I, we had a, a, a prayer meeting. We have a ministry encounters network, and we, have, we love the place of prayer, and we love the place of the prophetic. And we were having a meeting, and... and James, I call him Jim, okay, but anyway. Um, which one? Which one's a good name? Oh, Jim. Oh, yeah, Jim's a good name. That's right, yeah. Okay, I can call him Jim. That's good. I don't have to work about thinking about calling him James. But he stood up there and he said, okay, I, this is what I think. I feel like that the Lord is wanting to highlight um, tonight. If we will press in and pray, that the Lord wants to highlight what, what your uh, biggest enemy is speaking to everyone individually. And so we just, you know, we prayed, okay? And we, and we were quiet for a while, and then different ones, you know, shared what they got. Well, what I got, I, I was really surprised. I got that my biggest enemy was a man-hating spirit. Um, and the reason why I share that is because the Lord just downloaded a whole bunch of stuff to me and helped me understand that the man-hating spirit, in my application, okay, it was over infirmity, it was over intimidation, it was over fear, it was there to prevent me in any and every way possible from walking in the fullness of the call of God on my life. And so we turned around and we took a time where we went into this warring prayer and everybody identified their enemy and just like we just kind of got in our own personal zones and went into this place of just warring in tongues. Well, you know what? I used to be a really, um, um, what's the right word? Fruitful dreamer. I used to have dreams. I have journals upon journals upon journals of dreams. But you know what? When I moved to the south, when I moved to the Nashville area, my dream life like dried up. And I've been praying and praying and asking the Lord, you know, to open that up. You know, after I did that prayer that night, I've been having dreams every night. Dreams every night. And here's the thing. See, a woman-hating spirit, did I say man-hating? I'm sorry, not man-hating. Uh, it's a woman-hating spirit. I'm sorry. Woman-hating spirit. Yeah, that will completely change things. <laughs> Thank you for speaking up. I need you. I need you. Woman-hating spirit. Thing is, women have it too. And sometimes... 
the biggest fight that I fight is a woman-hating spirit that is within other women. And I had to repent that night for being in agreement with that because, you know, sometimes there has been the issue that we have felt like as women, I bet everyone in this room could identify that sometimes you feel like a man can do more things than you can do just because they're a man. There are more doors that are open. And I want to challenge you that that kind of thought opens the door to this kind of woman-hating spirit. It, it makes you at odds within yourself, you see. There is a struggle. There is a spirit-to-spirit -spirit struggle that's within you. And for us to make this transition from being a sheep to where we just follow, 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 to daring to step forward and to, and to lead, we have to come out of agreement with the enemy, with the lies that the enemy has given us. And all the stuff of self-pity, and I mean, I have rolled in it, okay? I've rolled in it. Rejection, self-rejection, rejection that begets reget rejection, spirit of an unloved woman, comparison. I mean, we can go the whole gamut. I've been there. And it's just a bunch of weights that keep us from being able to be fully used and available to the Lord. And it, it puts a, a seal over our heart because, see, what it speaks of is that we can't trust. And if we can't trust, that means we can't trust God. We don't let Him in. Our, the door to our heart is not open. And this is really what's important, is our hearts to be healed and whole. It's really important. Now, I tell you, I think this is part of the reason why the NOW organization has formed is because women are angry. And they want to have a platform. So, well, forget God. I'm just going to see what I can do all by myself. Chuck Pierce has a teaching out. I don't know if you all know who he is, but um, the Lord has given him a real grace to um, look at the Hebra in the in the Hebraic understanding the years, and um, and he's done a study on all that. And this year in the Hebraic calendar, it is the year of the clashing of the swords. Now, now for wow. Now for wow. I really feel like the Lord is saying that now has had its day. This is the year of launching into a battle for the women, for our women. For our women, those women that are caught up in that mindset are to be our women. They have hurting hearts. They have bitterness. They have unforgiveness. There's a lot of stuff. But you know what? 
there is nothing that's too big for God. And we can look at the now organization and think, oh gosh, well, who can touch that? Well, you know what? God can. God can. See, I feel this war horse thing coming up inside of me that I want to claim those women. Those are our women. Those are our women. Those are our women. And I'm telling you, it is now for women of the word. It's a play on words. There is a practical application for wow, for women of the word. But there is another broader application that it's now, now is the time for the women of the word of God to come forward and to get rid of the junk, to get rid of all the labels that disqualify and to be filled with this bold and fighting spirit that says, my God can, I can't, but my God can, and it's time to dream big. You know, in Judges chapter 4, if you uh, go down, let's see, what scripture is that? Uh, well, Judges 4, I think it's verse 7. Yeah, it says, I will draw out Sisera. Who draws out Sisera? God does. I tell you what, listen, ladies. This is a time to get the strategies of God. I feel this, I feel this, I feel this. I feel it so strongly. God wants to release his strategy on the earth. He wants to release it to whoever will ask him for it. If we are willing to put off the sheep mentality and to step forward and to say, I'm available, God. I don't know what you want me to do. Maybe I do know. Maybe I've been running and I'm saying, surely somebody else can do this better than me. And that's not the issue. That's not the issue. It's about our hearts being open to the Lord and loving him so much that we'll go wherever and we'll do whatever he says. Why? Because he loves us and because he asks us to. It's just like someone that we love. Betsy loves Jim. She would do anything that Jim asked her to do. Why? Because she loves him. She will sit with him and let him process and talk about whatever. And she'll, be, and she'll sit there and she'll listen to him and she'll be his counselor. She'll be his friend. Why? Because she cares. I'm telling you, this is not too big of a thing. We are sitting here in this hotel room across the street from the state capitol building. We are here in the capital of New York State. And if I'm not correct, there are foundation stones of the now organization that here, that resides here in New York. Now, <coughs> I just don't think that's an accident. It's not an accident. And I tell you, it, see, we have got to get past, we've got to get past just thinking about that we are by ourselves, that we are living our lives, that we are responsible to the Lord for our lives. You know what? We're responsible for more than that. We are responsible for operating, for coming together to, to forming a corporate body. We are responsible as the body of Christ within the state of New York as to what happens in this state and how the decisions and the, the effects of the lives of the people in this state, how they affect this nation. Nations are accountable to God in the judgment day. Nations are accountable to him for how they walked. 
and what they did and what they didn't do. And we have to make this transition to go beyond ourselves and to allow ourselves to come into a sense of corporate being. This is really important. This is a strategic now time. I really believe this for New York State that the women here that are residents of New York, you need to be asking the Lord, what is your responsibility? Because the Lord wants to go. You see, you have a place of authority unlike anybody in any other state. You have ownership because this is your ground. This is your territory. This is your city. This is your state. It doesn't belong to anybody else. It's yours. It's yours. Do you hear me? It's our inheritance to rule and to reign with him. And he's just waiting for us. I mean, it's like, you know, I am the happiest I have ever been in my life. I know less about what I'm doing now than I ever did in my entire life. The Lord is throwing me all over the globe. I don't even know where exactly I'm going. I don't know what all I'm doing, and I am so happy. I am so set free because I am not living under bondage or restriction of, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. Oh, God surely wouldn't use me. And the Lord's saying, I mean, it's like every time I get this thought of direction, the Lord's saying, you're not thinking big enough. You're not thinking big enough. You're not thinking big enough. And I feel like we're in a window of time. It's like God has been waiting for us to be activated and to move forward, to bring his kingdom to the earth. And I almost, I almost feel like he's saying, what do you want? What do you want? I mean, I really feel like, I mean, it's, we, we are shifting in the time frame. And no longer is it, oh, God, do you think I could do this? Could I do that? God is saying, what do you want? What do you want to own? What do you want to be responsible for? What do you want to do? What do you want to have impact? Where do you want to have influence? I'm going into Mozambique. I'm taking prophetic intercessory teams into Thailand. We're going into Burma. We're going into China. We're looking at developing an, a new model. I mean, it's like, what am I doing? I don't know. I'm just following God. We're, we're looking at developing a new model for First Nations orphanages, ones that would honor uh, the, uh, the people and not just totally dismantle their whole family structure, their family unit, their tribal unit. We're looking at ways that we can serve them. See, Tennessee... Has, is the one state out of all 50 states until just recently that never had any land set aside for First Nations. Why? Because Andrew Jackson was from Tennessee and he released a whole lot of decrees. He had really, really bad, bad um, uh, legislative opinions about First Nations peoples. And he wanted to make sure that his state you know, shut the door. He was the one that, you know, watched over the whole trail of tears. I mean, and he shut, I mean, it's, it was just atrocity upon atrocity 
three weeks ago, we just went over into East Tennessee and we visited the beginning of the Trail of Tears and we, you know, followed the places. We went to Chota, which is the, pla the, the place of the first independent government. It predates the Declaration of Independence by 10 years. The Cherokee tribe were actually a godly tribe. Their unofficial, their unofficial anthem was Amazing Grace. They have visitations. You can go there. Their verbal um, history talks about a revelation of a man that would come and that he would die on the cross for the sorrows and the sins of many people. And it was this place in Chota, it was a ch place of uh, Cherokee uh, grounds that it was the first independent nation of which is the foundation stones from where the Declaration of Independence even came from. We're going back into the roots of our country and, and we're, we're going back to the foundation stone and seeing how, what kind of atrocities that were released against First Nations peoples and we're coming with an understanding that repentance has to carry acts of recompense. You can't just say you're sorry and have wiped out millions of people. We have to bring action to what we do. Bring action to our prayers. Our, our lives are to be lives of prayer. Do you understand? There comes a place where you become so transformed by the Lord. Your life is a prayer. <laughs> I can get pretty serious, can't I? <laughs> I can get pretty wound up. Uh, I know I can. I just... You know what? I really appreciate whoever it was over here that said we want it. But I think there is a place. It would be really good if we stopped right now. And if everybody would say that to the Lord. Is that okay? Just talk to the Lord right now where you're sitting. You just tell him we want it. We want it. We want it. Lord, we just say to you, we want it. We want to understand your ways, Lord. We want to be partners to release your kingdom on this earth. I just want to hear, can you, like, can you guys just stand up, okay? I want you this just a moment. And engage in this and tell, talk to the Lord. And just as simple, just say, we want it. Let him hear you talk to him. Okay, here's what we're going to do, you guys. Here's what we're going to do. On the count of three, I just want, I just, whoever really feels like you can really say this, okay? I'm not, I want to put words in your mouth. I just want us to all say, all together, we want it, okay? So one, two, three. We want it. Let's do it one more time. We want it. That's good. I, that's good. That's good. Okay, you can sit down if you want to. See, declarations are really good, and God is really after a response. And I don't want to stand up here and just talk and talk and talk and not give a place for you to respond to him. Okay?
Okay. Psalm 68.11. That verse has been bouncing around for a number of years. A great company of women to publish the good news of the gospel. I tell you, we are in a day where the Lord is raising up a great host of women. There is a great host of women. You are part of the great host of women. He is releasing a fresh anointing on you today. And um, I tell you, um, the book of Deborah is just alive right now. Where in Judges chapter 4 and Judges chapter 5, it talks about the condition of, the, of Israel in that time and, and uh, how the army of Sisera, the captain was, um, of the Philistine army, was coming against and was robbing, pillaging all the villages and they couldn't farm, they couldn't plant, they couldn't trade, they couldn't travel on the highways, they couldn't have a job, that just everything had ceased. They couldn't even live in their own houses because the villages were being raided. And Deborah was a judge at that time, and she saw the condition of the land. And it goes on, if you read through Judges chapter 4, and it says, Till I, Deborah, arose. And she partnered with Barak. She had a vision, and she knew what was to happen. And she released it to Barak, and, and Barak just insisted that she go with, her, with him. Now, I have a personal <clears throat> uh, approach on this. Deborah was really concerned with the restoration of temple worship. And that's where a lot of her heart was and in her, her place of rulership. She, she uh, judged and was instrumental in, in reinstituting the right worship in the temple. She was called, it's like a illumination. Lapidoth means illumination. She was a woman of illumination. She was a woman who... Many say that she was involved in uh, making the wicks for the candles that um, burned in the temple. She was a woman who loved the presence of God. And when Barak made his statement and said, I will not go unless you go, what I really believe he's saying is, I will not go without the presence of God. I will not go without the illumination of God. Now, I want to tell you something. While I believe there is a great company of women that the Lord is raising in the earth today, it's not so that women can run off and just develop another now organization, but it's, you know, that's not it. It's the Deborahs and the Baraks to come and to operate together and to not have jealousy or competition one against the other. Okay? God is all about restitution. He's all about restu restitution and restoration. And He wants to see... Men and women come and work together and neither one be jealous of the other. And as it was in the book of Judges that Brad didn't care who got the credit. Deborah didn't care either. They just wanted God to win. And we are coming to a place where we just want God to win. There's to be no competition. There's to be no jealousy. There's to be no bitterness, no unforgiveness. There is a place of fresh release, fresh beginning in this day, in this season. And all we have to do is step into it. Now, okay, I have some horses. I could, I could talk to you a couple hours on some of my different horse stories. 
And you know what I'm convinced of is that God will take whatever language we need for him to communicate to us. He'll take what's near and dear to us, and he knows how to speak in those ways. And I've wanted a horse ever since I was a little girl and never happened. And now we're at a place where I have a horse. Well, you know what? The first horse I had was uh, an Arabian, Egyptian Arabian mare. Now, they called her Babe. She was a gift to me, and I was very grateful for her. Her real name was Sabbath. And in her lineage, she had Hosea's and Hannah's. Okay, I'm looking at an Egyptian Arabian mare whose name is Sabbath. This horse was the most unhappy horse I've ever seen. <laughs> she was ornery, mean. She could, you know, she had all of her defense mechanisms up and she put her head in the corner and you know, threaten you like she was going to kick you and all this stuff. She would snarl at the other horses. I mean, she did, and she would like reach out and nab him. You know, she's like an old nag, you know, nag in a barn. And she's happy to be fed. But she wasn't very pleasant to be around. But I loved her. And, I, and it's like I kept trying to get through to her. And I've learned a lot in working with horses and overcoming their defense mechanisms, you know. And I would spend a couple hours with her. One day, and her eyes would soften, and she would get sweet and gentle. The next day, I'd have to start all over again. She was at odds. I prayed over her. Yeah, I prayed over a horse. I prayed over all my horses, and I understood she was a horse that was at odds within herself. She had seeds of Arabian and Jewish lineage within her. Her name was Sabbath. Hosea's and Hannah's in her lineage, but she's Egyptian-Arabian. One part hated the other. Couldn't coexist together in peace. I've worked with horses, not as much as probably some of you have, but I've learned things. I've learned things that, you know, when a horse really gets afraid is when they go in the arena. When they go into the arena... Because they are a fear-driven animal. They want to run. And we see pictures of wild horses running across the prairie, and we think, oh, how beautiful, how majestic, how beautiful they look. You know what? They're wild, they're scared, they're running, they're afraid of predators, they're, they're susceptible to disease, you know. They're, who knows, you know, if they're actually getting the right kind of food that they need. It looks great. But in reality, it's not a safe place. And when you put a horse in the arena, they start running. Why? All they know is they want out. They run around and they're looking for a place to get out of the arena. Well, you know what? I've seen a lot of people like that. And I've been in that place too. And we're, sometimes we're afraid to get in the arena of God. And as soon as that door shuts... We start running around the ring trying to find a place to escape, some way to get out. And the Lord is just standing there in the middle of that arena, just waiting for us to quit running. He's not a mean taskmaster. He's, he's a good trainer. And he'll stand there. He's not going to whip you. He's not going to beat you. He doesn't want us to run anymore. 
And you know, there's something about learning. It's, it's almost like we can trade places in this whole thing of the war horse. Sometimes we are the horse itself. Sometimes there are burdens or assignments that the Lord puts on our back and we're to run with those things, okay? But other times it's like it switches and it's like we are riding something. We're on the back of the Holy Spirit. And he's walking along and we're riding on him. And there is such communion that happens between the rider and the horse. It's almost like their two bodies become one. And the rider can begin to, he can shift his head and he shifts his head and it shifts the weight in his body and the horse knows and feels that. There is unity that happens between the horse and the rider. And there is a place that the Lord wants to bring us to. That we become one with Him. So one with Him that it, in one way we learn both roles. We know, we learn what it's like to carry something and to be, to be trustworthy. To not scare easy because we hear the sword clashing or there's banners, you know, that are fluttering around us or distractions of noises in battle. You know, in, in uh, earlier days of history, before there were ever fire engines, the horses had to pull the fire engines. And these horses were so trained that they would pull up alongside a burning building and even to the extent that the, the skin on the side of their body that was on the side of the, the uh, burning structure was being burned, they would stand there because they knew that was their assignment. And they would not move until their assignment was done. This is the picture of where we are to be. You know, the horse is the biggest animal that is, the, I mean, the most weight that is the most trainable and the most yieldable. To where you can put a child on a well-trained horse and that child is well taken care of. This is the picture, the transformation that we are to undergo. To come away from just being a sheep. Lord, may we get beyond just being a sheep and learn to be so one with Him that it's almost like we're inseparable. And whether we're writing Him or He's writing us, it doesn't make any difference. We just love the relationship. And when he turns his head, when he's on our back, he turns our head, we feel him. We go, oh, wait, Holy Spirit just moved. Where did he go? Oh, over here. A war horse is not a war horse because of his strength. It's because of his heart. It's because of his laid down life. It's because of his discipline and his training. His focus is sure he knows what his goal is. He knows what his assignment is. And he's going there because the horse is one of the most relational animals there is. And we are to become like him. We are to become like him. Thank you, Lord. Okay.
Thank you, Jesus. I just, you know, this is just really, really important, okay? And I can't even read my watch. I can't tell what time it is. I don't know what time it is. Have I gone too long? Do I have 10 minutes? Really? Okay. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jesus, for helping me. There is to be a revival of kindness in the land. You may not know exactly what the Lord has called you to, but you do know that he's called you to love and to be kind. And I tell you, if we are willing to look and to ask, the Lord will show us all kinds of ways. I know of one instance where someone pulled up to a Starbucks drive-thru, just decided, hey, I'll, you know the car behind me? Let me go ahead. I want to pay for their order. And they did that. And you know what? Because they did that, the car behind them, when they got up to the, to the window and they found out their order was paid for, they said, oh, well, let me pay for the car behind me. And it went on for eight cars. And I'm saying, you don't know what fires you will light by doing the simplest, maybe smallest, seemingly most insignificant things. Ultimately, ladies, here's, here is the conclusion that I have come to. I love gifting, okay? I really love the prophetic. I really, really do. I love the evangelist. I love the teacher. I love all the gifts. I love the pastoral gift too. But there is something that we are called to do that doesn't depend on gifting. And it's something that every one of us can do. And God wants to empower us and he wants to release us. And it's called just loving somebody. The greatest thing is love. You want signs and wonders and miracles? Tap into the love of God. You want to please the heart of the Father? Tap into the heart of love. Use your gifting, use your calling, but don't use your gifting to define who you are or what you can do or cannot do. Don't sit there and say, well, I'm not prophetic, I don't know. Don't say, well, I'm not an evangelist, so I can't share with people about Jesus. No way! The gifts are meant to equip, not to confine. You know, sometimes the most powerful prophetic word you can give somebody is just to be a face that smiles at them. It's true. It's true. Don't let those scruples limit you in your impact to, to release the kingdom of God where you are. I just, you know what? I just decided I wanted to do something. Someday I'm going to write a book, and it's going to be called Let's Do Something. And it's going to be what I feel like it's going to be there's just going to be a whole group of women that they're just going to decide that they're tired of sitting around and not doing anything. They're tired of waiting for somebody to invite them to ask them to do something. And they're going to say, 
what is God telling me to do? I'm just going to try it and see what happens. And you know what? The only way you can fail is if you don't try. I would rather get out there and try and fall on my face than never try at all. That's the only way we fail is if we don't just get up, we never get up and try to do something. I feel like this book is going to be a compilation of different women. They're just going to get up and say, okay, I'm going to try something. And they're going to succeed at it. And they're going to impact people. They're going to impact nations. They don't know how far their influence is going to go. They just decide to get up and do something. You want to do something? Do you want to do something? Let's do something. Let's do something. I mean, let's do something. What are we waiting for? I just... God is just saying, go, go. He's saying, what are you doing? What, you know, what do you want to do? 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 Serious. What do you want to do? Do you want to go into publishing? Do you want to go into business? Do you want to go into some artistic design? Do you want to go in, into law? Do you want to go into uh, government? Do you want to go into missions work? Do you, you know, where do you want to go? Do you want to go into counseling? Where do you want to go? Do you want to go into public school system? What do you want to do? What's on your heart? What's on your heart? What's the dream that's inside of you? You know, God is the dream giver. You know that, don't you? He's a dream giver. And if you think there's no way that you can accomplish this on your own, you're absolutely right. And if it's not too big for you, then I question if it's really from God because God always, his vision is always bigger than what we can do in our own strength. Stand up, okay? <clears throat> Lord, I just pray for these women right now, and I just pray for a release of just outrageous faith to be released to them. Lord, I just pray that the blinders just come off of them right now in the name of Jesus. And they're not defined by the scruples. They're not defined by who's, who aunt so-and-so ever said they were, that they could or they couldn't do. And we say, with God, nothing is impossible. And I call forth and I pull forth destiny and calling and purpose out of these women right now. I call them forth and I set them into their placement. And I call for the love of God to be shed abroad in their hearts that will break off fear and will break off intimidation, will break off comparison, and will break off this, this stinking thinking and this un, this spirit of unbelief that says God wouldn't use me God can't use me I'm too small I can't do anything anyway and we cut it off right now in the name of Jesus and we step into the new we step into the now and we say it is now we declare that we are women of the word we are women of the word we are women of the word and we will we will release the word of the Lord we will carry the love of God and we are going to have impact in every area and sphere of influence the Lord gives us. We choose today to move forward in the purposes of God and we, we just shed that, that dreary cloak of unbelief right now in Jesus' name. Just take it off of your shoulders right now. In Jesus' name, we just take it off and we step forward right now. In Jesus' name.
Hallelujah. Yes, God. Hallelujah.